Today we're looking at Psalms 133 and 134 in our final part of this series on Psalms. These are two Psalms that are in a section called Songs of Ascent and they're about pilgrimage, they're about a journey uh, for the people of God from their towns and villages up to Jerusalem for the great festivals of the faith. And so they are psalms about unity, about blessing, about worship. And these last two psalm, psalms are really uh, psalms about their arrival in Jerusalem and that time of worship together. We're on a journey, aren't we? It's uh, a very different time that we're going through. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm the child in the back of the car saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And there are some hopeful signs, aren't there? But we aren't there yet. We aren't meeting together physically yet. And so this, these Psalms have something interesting to say to us and they raise some questions. Can we experience unity and blessing when we're apart from each other? Can we truly worship God as the people of God when we are spread over the southeast and beyond? So as we read these Psalms together, um, why don't you consider those questions? Psalm 133 and 134. A song of ascent of David. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is maker of heaven and earth. We may not be familiar with these two images of uh, Aaron, his beard, the oil flowing down and the dew on Mount Hermon. Um, I know there's been quite a lot of competitive beard growing in this time, but it's nothing about the beard really. It's about the oil and that oil on Aaron, the first priest who would lead the people into worship. Uh, signified that he was set apart, that he was made holy by uh, the Holy Spirit and that he represented the whole people of God as he offered sacrifices, that their sins could be forgiven and they could know uh, the presence of God and come into the presence of God. And then uh, the Jew on Mount Hermon is a symbol again of the blessing of God. You know, if you live in a dry country, even the dew, that small amount of moisture can make a difference and can help your crops uh, come to harvest and be fruitful. And so these symbols of oil and dew, of oil and water, they are symbols that are often used for the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible. 
So the writer is saying that the unity of the people of God is, it comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the anointing that generously flows over us. Mount Hermon was a, a mountain that was quite high in altitude and it had a lot heavier dew than Jerusalem. So he's saying, you know, that abundance of dew that you get in Mount Hermon, well, it's you're going to have it in Jerusalem in a, in a spiritual sense. You're going to be blessed as you worship God together. And as we go into the Old Testament, we look back at, at the story of Aaron, we find that the first time that he offers sacrifices for the people of God, um, the glory of God, the presence of God uh, comes down and the people are filled with joy and they fall on their faces to worship God. Uh, because of the anointing that uh, happens as he presents them uh, to God in worship. That really reminds me of Acts chapter 2, uh, where we find the early church gathered together, praying and waiting on God. And as they meet, the Holy Spirit comes on them and fills them abundantly and they experience joy and the gift of a new language of tongues and they go out into the street praising God and telling of this great saviour Jesus. And so we see in this psalm that the blessing God gives is of the Holy Spirit who uh, anoints us and makes us the people of God. I don't know about you, but um, since we've had been in lockdown, um, I've joined a little WhatsApp group on my road and it's been great actually. Uh, people have been far more friendly and people have shopped for each other and shared things with each other in the road. And on a Thursday, you know, we wave to each other and there's yeah, there's a little bit of unity that is emerging. It's very convenient, actually. The other week when I messed up my online shopping and got five bags of bananas rather than five individual bananas, I was able to go on my WhatsApp and share the blessing of the bananas around the street. And sometimes people think that the church, you know, it's just a bunch of people who are being kind to each other and staying in contact with each other. And that's all there is to our unity. But actually there's so much more because we are family. We are brothers and sisters. We have been brought into the family of God through what Jesus has done for us. We belong together. You know, what we do isn't what unites us. It's who we are in Christ. And it's from that unity of who we are that, that we then do things that expresses that unity. And we see that in Ephesians chapter two, uh, Paul is talking about all the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. Because he died on the cross for us, we 
can come into the family of God. We can be adopted into the family of God and come into his presence. But it doesn't just affect our relationship with God. What was achieved on the cross through Jesus Christ affects our relationship with one another as well. And Paul talks in Ephesians 2 about the divisions, the hostility, uh, the barriers between very different types of people being broken down because of what Jesus did on the cross. Let me read to you what it says in Ephesians 2 verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. We're family. That's why the early church worked hard to put that unity into practice. They met together daily. They you know, built that fellowship, that unity in practical terms. When they recognised that people were in need, they sold what they had so that everybody could be cared for and resourced. They also made sure that everybody was listened to. There's a moment in Acts chapter 6 where some people in the church, an ethnic minority, felt that they weren't being cared for in the most loving and practical way. And so changes were made. They were heard. Uh, the church responded to them and unity was restored. And it's the same for us. It isn't always easy to maintain our unity together, but that's what we're called to do. You know, when the early church, their leaders were taken away and beaten and imprisoned and the people of God were scattered far and wide, they took that unity with them. They continued to find ways to meet together, to care for one another, to listen to one another. But it's not easy. It's not easy for us, is it? And Eugene Peterson, the writer of the Message Bible, he says this about Christian unity. Living together like brothers and sisters is one of the great and arduous tasks before Christ's people. And it's true, isn't it? Because sometimes we just get wrapped up in our own concerns and we stop reaching out to each other. Sometimes we're, we are a bit like the kids in the back of the car, not just saying, are we there yet? But squabbling over who's gonna sit by the window or elbowing each other, not sharing. And so we have to make that effort to keep that unity, that bond of peace amongst us. I wonder, you know, in this season particularly, can we keep our unity? Can we actually grow in unity? Can we experience unity when some of us in our congregation are feeling you know, worried and nervous about the virus still because they feel much more at risk. And that's just because the colour of their skin or the type of work they do. 
can there be unity amongst us where some of us are still working on full pay, we're comfortable, we're doing okay, and others have lost their jobs, they're furloughed, they're struggling to put food on the table. How can we have unity when some people still feel alone and isolated? Well, I think we can still have unity. I think actually God, by his Holy Spirit, is still drawing us together and keeping us as one people. You know, there are nearly a thousand people that meet together in groups over the week across the church. Meeting together is still happening. It's still, it's great to have you watching this and us meeting here on Sunday. God is still drawing us together. If you're not in a group, I would really recommend you get into a group. It's important that we meet together. We're still caring for one another, aren't we? I mean, I was talking to someone this week who uh, knew that there was someone who was a bit vulnerable who lived near them. And so when the lockdown happened, they contacted them and they've been doing their shopping and reaching out to them over the weeks. And through the HOPE initiative and the Jericho Road project, we are helping hundreds of people, sometimes the most vulnerable in our community, practically providing hot meals, providing shopping. So we are still working to serve one another and help each other. And I know lots of you are texting one another and calling one another and you're in different WhatsApp groups and we are trying to keep that unity amongst us. And I would just encourage you to really listen to one another. Ask those questions that really reveal where people are at in their journey. You know, if you're a white person, maybe you wanna ask your black friends, what it's, what's it like for you when you see, see headlines that make you feel you're at more risk? What's it like for you if your job is one of those jobs that's considered risky? Let's listen to one another and acknowledge that we are in different places. Let's stand up for each other. Let's pray for one another. Let's rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Let's be in this together. Doing unity is hard, but the driver of our car, <laughs> our Lord Jesus Christ, he is our example. On the very night before he was taken to be crucified, he prayed that we might be one. Unity is at the heart of Jesus' prayer for us as his people. And so he was willing to die for us that we might be one. He supersedes anything that Aaron could do. He is the great high priest who sacrificed his very life that we might be forgiven and cleansed and welcomed into the family of God. He gave himself so that we might receive the Holy Spirit and be anointed and blessed and be able to worship together. 
what a saviour, what an example our good shepherd is. He offers us the ultimate blessing, the blessing that Psalm 133 ends with, the blessing of life forevermore, eternal life, life everlasting. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we receive that eternal life. And I think Psalm 134 is the response to that blessing of eternal life. You know, God pours out his blessing on us and we in response pour out our praise to him. That's the call of Psalm 134 to worship him, uh, to lift up our voices and our hands to worship him. I don't know if you remember that chorus that said, you know, come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord. Oh, bless the Lord. And I feel there's something encouraging in this psalm because it's a psalm right at the end of this section. It's a psalm where the people would have felt a real sense of unity because there would have been crowds pressing in to worship in the temple. But the psalmist, um, he concentrates on those who stand by night in the house of the Lord to worship him. Yeah, he could have focused on the hundreds and thousands who were giving sacrifice in the day but he focuses on those in the night. And I think that speaks to us right now. You know, I used to be a nurse and I often did night duty. And in the night, it doesn't matter how much you've slept during the day, at three o'clock or so, you always feel low and tired and it's really hard to keep going. And some of us are in the place in our journey where we still feel it's night. There's a shadow across our life. There are concerns about money and loved ones and children going back to school. And so this psalm is saying to us, come on, remember God is the maker of heaven and earth. He loves you. Worship him. Lift up your hands, even if it feels like it's night. He is with you. And that's so encouraging. I love that image of lifting up your hands. That speaks to me of two things. The first is the obvious of lifting up your hands in joy and worship. Uh, if you go to any big concert or football match, you'll see people lifting up their hands. It's, yeah, it's an action of joy and excitement and worship. But if you have small children in your household, they will often lift up their hands to you as well. And that is a different symbol. It's an action of saying, help me, lift me up, comfort me, hug me, I need you. And so when the psalmist urges us to lift our hands, maybe for some of us today, we can lift our hands with joy uh, to God. But maybe we might be lifting our hands and asking for help. And that's okay. Both are included in this call to worship from Psalm 134. You know, we lift up our hands to our Father in heaven because we are his children. 
And, you know, over these weeks, uh, William and I, we've been reading uh, 1 Peter. It's a book that's written to Christians under trial, Christians who were scattered because of persecution. And he reminds them of their unity. He reminds them of who they are. Let me just read to you some verses from 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Oh, what a wonderful passage. We are called to declare the praises of him that took us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We may still be on the journey. You know, we're not there yet, but we are his people and he is with us and he is worthy of praise. One day we will meet all together again and we look forward to that day. But, you know, even that isn't really the end of our journey because there is a day coming when we will be in heaven, where every tribe and nation and tongue will be represented, when the glorious diversity of God's people will be there and everyone will lift their hands and worship the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And we will sing the praises of Jesus, our wonderful saviour. So let's hold on to our unity as the people of God. Let's keep meeting together. Let's keep helping each other practically. Let's keep listening to each other and connecting with each other in real and honest and growing ways. Let's worship him together now. I'm going to pray and then we're going to spend time worshipping the God that we love, the maker of heaven and earth who has called us and made us his people. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask now that as we pray and worship, your Holy Spirit will come close. You will fill our hearts again. You will empower us to worship you, to lift our hands with joy or with cries of help. Lord God, we want to worship you. You are the maker of heaven and earth. You're worthy of all our praise. You have blessed us in so many ways and we are full of thanks and praise to you. Amen.